Hi everyone, my name is Ritik and welcome to another edition of Lifetime Value. Today is probably one of the most interesting and important episodes I've had in the podcast so far. And the reason why I say that is because I'm joined by Carlos Torres, who is a lawyer at YG Consultores, and we're going to talk about the fintech law in Mexico. As you may or may not know, the Mexican government is one of the few within the whole Latin American space to have a fintech law. And the repercussions of having a law as compared to not having one are huge. So today, Carlos is going to cover what the fintech law is, his own professional journey as a lawyer, and how the legal team normally fits within a growing startup. Finally, Carlos will share his advice for lawyers planning to join the startup world. So without further ado, please welcome Carlos. Hey, hi, Ritik. How are you? Hi, Carlos. Great to have you here. I'm very excited to talk with you. And I saw that you're very, very much involved in your career in the fintech world. And I'm very excited to have you explain the whole fintech law. I, I feel that even though I've been in fintech my whole life in Mexico, the fintech law, it's confusing for everybody. So I'm really, really excited to have you explain it as if like I'm a five-year-old or a golden retriever. And hopefully our listeners will also get a very, very <laughs> valuable episode from uh, today's podcast. So why don't you start us off with uh, explaining what got you into the legal world and how did you end up at YG Consultores? Thanks, Gritik. I'm really excited too. And like I told you, I will, I will show you that lawyers are not boring. <laughs> so um, yes. about my career, I started my career since I was in college. Mm -hmm. I work as a trial attorney on a law firm defending any type of clients. So wow. back there, for me, the environment on a trial was difficult. You know, you got both parties on a conflict. You got a judge with whom you need to follow a strict protocol and it's mm -hmm. always seriousness. Mm -hmm. You got the, the counterpart attorney whom sometimes were unbearable and so square mm -hmm. thinking. Mm -hmm. at, even at some point, I even asked myself if I choose the right career. Mm -hmm. But then I decided to try something new. And that is when I started at YNG on the financial sector with Yolistre Gutierrez, the founding partner of the firm, as my mentor. Mm -hmm. So I get to know this fintech sector, this beautiful sector on, on payment methods, on fintechs, on startups, where you have to think out of the box. Mm -hmm. You need to have a, a pro-business way of thinking. Uh, you have to update your knowledge every day. You have to know how to use the law in your favor to help your clients. Mm -hmm. And also, you get to know so much interesting and cool people. So imagine one day I was in a court with a judge full of client conflicts, thinking about my future. Mm -hmm. And then I was with a company CEO that was rolling that scooter on his office with a Star Wars <laughs> t-shirt or, or talking on a podcast about the fintech law with a financial expert who yeah. also does, does stand-up. <laughs> so yeah. I, I was happy 
because I wasn't anymore the attorney that solves conflicts on a trial. I yeah. became the financial and corporate attorney that prevents conflict, that helps doing business, and most important, I think, to to get legal securities. So since then, I I practically love what I do. That is so good to hear, you know, because uh, a bunch of the lawyer friends that I have can't stop talking about how much they hate their job. And it is so refreshing to hear that, you know, <laughs> you, you absolutely love what you're doing and you're going to explain all of this in as much fun a way possible. So, you know, I'm really happy that you're on the podcast as well. Now, what, why don't you explain a bit more about what your firm does and as compared to, let's say, a, a big company with its own established legal team, et cetera, why would a startup need your company's help? We are proudly a Mexican legal firm with, mm-hmm. with presence in, in Latin America, in North America, in Asia. And we are specialized in fintech, in payment methods, e-commerce, and anti-money laundering. Mm-hmm. So we are pro-business lawyers. We always seek the benefit and security of our clients, creating legal strategies, giving compliance, authorizations, loving with authorities and and other participants. Mm -hmm. And while in general, provide legal advice to to fintechs, to banks, to tech companies, e-commerce, startups, and well, other companies in order to help them doing business and protect their companies. So... Even that they have a legal intern team, mm-hmm. you always need specialized mm-hmm. advice, legal advice. So mm-hmm. I think any startup needs legal help in, well, in all its areas. And, and, and believe me, I'm not telling these girls for they hire me. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they could, but two of the most important points that startups need help are good legal advice on funding uh, or investing mm-hmm. rounds. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot think of a startup without thinking about fundraising. Yep. So they need to get a professional and specialized legal advisory on, on that matter. The second point, it, it would be definitely regulatory compliance because, well, who doesn't like to comply with the law? Correct. Well, while you were mentioning about fundraising, why don't you explain to our listeners how fundraising occurs from a legal point of view? See, looking at it from the finance perspective, right? I'll pitch an investor and then he'll be like, okay, I'm going to sign a check of $5 million. And then after that, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to use that $5 million going forward. But then there's so many things that happen in between that usually go through a legal team, like, you know, creating an NLC cap table, creating a Delaware corporation so you can receive the money, all of that. If you don't mind explaining, you know, if let's say I'm about to raise money from a U.S. investor. From the time you receive a term sheet to the time that it's completed, what does a lawyer do during this time? Okay, since the beginning of the funding round, you, yep. you need to to advise your client all the steps you will need to follow on the funding round. So mm. then you, I think you, you can create, start creating the file, the okay. legal documents, 
tax documents, uh, mm. powers of attorney, any type of legal document, you need to get it reviewed. So okay. then you, you start with any private equity, equity funds, uh, or maybe you can go to, to a crowdfunding fintech and start the, the funding round. So okay. that's where the, the thing gets a little bit complicated because you start to see the accountants, the financial projectors, and mm -hmm. everyone thinks the lawyers are the bad guys that <laughs> are squirming and try to slow down the fun yeah racing but no uh maybe it could slow down the the round mm -hmm. but it is for their benefit uh, we are concerned for their legal security mm -hmm. and that everything's go goes well mm -hmm. got it so now moving on to probably the the most important question that i have for you today what is the fintech law in mexico if you could give us a background plus uh, what are the, some implications of having a fintech law in Mexico? You know, how does the fintech law give Mexico an edge? Or maybe it doesn't. Uh, what are your thoughts about those? Back in 2018, yeah. where Mexicans, including myself, were thinking about our next president, yeah. Uh, the fintech law was published, becoming the, the first country in Latin America Mm -hmm. to to implement a law specifically focused on this huge sector. Mm -hmm. So the principal aim is to promote financial inclusion okay. through technology, where in Mexico, 80 million people have access to internet. So mm -hmm. also prevent legal security and, and creating greater competitions. So what were the implications that all the fintechs will now need a license to operate in Mexico? Mm -hmm. And the application process is a great challenge because they need to have a business plan, uh, financial projections, minimum capital, technology requirements, um, data security, anti-money laundering policies, uh, mm -hmm. specific agreements, terms and conditions, mm -hmm. uh, legal documents, and all sorts of requirements that need to be fulfilled so the fintechs get their license. Mm -hmm. And what type of fintechs? Yeah. Well, Ritik, we have the, the e-wallets mm -hmm. that are a great solution because you can open an account in 10 minutes and even, even get a delivery of a debit card by just downloading an app. Correct. And that's great because let me ask you a question. Do you like to go to the bank? No, I hate going to the bank. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> yeah. So actually there, there is a fact that seven out of 10 millennials yeah. prefer to go suffer to the dentist <laughs> than go to the bank. So yeah, well, that. now we got e wallets <laughs> that that can help with that. Yeah. Um, and another type of fintech that includes law is crowdfunding, mm -hmm. dedicated to connecting people or companies that require funds with investors who wish to contribute resources to the chosen projects. Mm -hmm. And this is also great because 
you know this this TV program Shark Tank. Yeah. Which is all over the world, and that in Mexico have a great popularity. Mm-hmm. Well, you can now become an investor like them Correct. again, just downloading an app. Correct. And and this is great. We we also have cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. although it is not recognized as a currency in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Virtual assets, as the fintech law may call them, yeah, uh, are considered now as a payment method, which, in addition to the exchange of cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, which until today doesn't stop growing. Well, in addition to the exchange of this cryptocurrency, it will be a great opportunity to start using them to acquire products or services in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Got it. And also we have a sandbox uh, that are created to try new financial products using Mm -hmm. technology with other modalities than those existing in the market. Mm -hmm. And this is also great for all the entrepreneurs that are creative and always are looking for innovation mm-hmm. that that is a brief part of the fintech law which yep. is referenced in latin america and mm-hmm. also help other countries last year chile presented a law yeah a law project for for fintech brazil which is also a great reference even mm-hmm. they don't have a specific regulation for fintech well, these companies need to request an authorization or Correct. or get a joint venture with, with a regulated entity. Mm-hmm. So talking, uh, I think, I don't think the edge that Mexico have is important. Okay. And I think the important thing is that the law was the main step and reference to other countries to, to give the importance that the fintechs deserve. Mm. Got it. Got it. That that makes sense. Now, a, a few things that you mentioned in the definition of the law, right? When you're giving the introduction, they need financial projections, anti-money laundering practices, data security. Now, having been part of a startup from ground zero, where there's only 10 people, you know, this this is a lot of things that need to be done before they can apply for the license. So isn't it kind of difficult if let's say you have a three person or five person startup where you have to do so many documents in order to apply for a license, wouldn't that end up stifling some of the creativity of the entrepreneur? And also one other thing you mentioned was minimum capital requirements. If I remember correctly, it's between three to 4 million pesos, which is around 150,000 to 200,000 US dollars. That's a lot of money for any startup. You know, if they get the amount of money, they need that for, uh, you know, paying the the talent, developing just the basic uh, minimum viable product for their company. But now they need to maintain that in order to get the license. So my question is, is the law a bit too strict or maybe, you know, you have a different opinion or how can it balance being the regulator and of course, regulating all the different uh, fintechs? And also allowing the entrepreneur enough creative space in order to do what they want to do. Yeah, at this point, it was controversial because, Mm. as you told, the the fintech companies are born from the nature of of being few people. Uh, And 
that's why I say it's a huge, huge challenge mm -hmm. because you have to, to get this big file to present your, your authorization, your license request, mm -hmm. and with so much, many things to comply. Mm -hmm. So it was, like I told, it was controversial, but I think the fintechs really did a great job Uh, in terms of capital, they they didn't need to to have those money in their bank accounts. I mean, okay. they could uh, take account their intangible assets. You know, the most mm -hmm. valuable mm -hmm. asset that a fintech have is their technology, their software, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they can use that to apport them to the the capital. Mm -hmm. So, like I thought, I think they really did a really great job. Mm -hmm. I I think the regulation is always looking to protect the client's interest. Mm -hmm. So even you think they are strong requirements, mm -hmm. uh, they're looking forward to, to protect all the participants. Sure. And I, I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. No, I agree with that. And Uh, a random side note, you know, when I was at Didi, I actually was applying for the fintech license on behalf of Didi. And even with all our legal team and tons of resources, it was still probably one of the hardest, if not the hardest uh, due diligence or checklist that I've done in my life. Uh, that's how difficult it is. And going back to that point, it just makes me a bit nervous. Like, you know, especially if I'm a first time entrepreneur, you know, I have a great idea. And then next thing I know, I'm spending 90% of my time trying to make sure that the FinTech license is in place. And, and another question I had for you was that, you know, as of now, uh, even though the law was published in 2018, as of now, only one company has had the license issued, which is Bitso. So maybe you can tell us more about that. Why only one company and what is the future looking like in the next couple of weeks, months? Okay, um, asking your first question is an interesting point because sometimes the relation stops the growth of a specific sector. Mm -hmm. And I think this is not the case. When the, some of our clients hire us, things that, Everything is a legal requirement and it is not. And uh, the next day we had the CEO of the fintech company working hard to meet certain requirements of the license. And they really get to know what a authorization process to of a financial entity means. And they are getting this reality of the responsibility they will have once they get the license. Mm -hmm. And I think it is good. Uh, this fintech law gives legal and financial security. Mm -hmm. And a great thing is that important international companies are interested in Mexico. Correct. We got New Bank, the, the Brazilian fintech. We mm -hmm. got RapiPay and their brand new credit card. We mm -hmm. got Mercado Pago. Like you told, we got Bitso, who already got their license. Mm -hmm. And also we have national companies that are great too. But even the pandemic delayed the authorization mm -hmm. because they did. I hope we will hear soon of more license granted. 
And another question I had was in the best case scenario, like once things are back to normal uh, and they're issuing the license from the time that I start to the point that I'm given the license, what is a good amount of time? Okay. Uh, well, it depends a lot on how long the file takes to form. I mean, mm. there are things text uh, a little with more people than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they, they, there are fintechs that are more prepared than others talking about technology. Sure. But once you get the authorization, the authority have 90 days to, to give the license. Okay. Now, before we move on to the next section of the podcast, I had one last question about the fintech law. In the future, especially for international entities, how will that law impact these companies that, you know, usually they enter, they just want to start the SAR, the SEVE or the LLC, and then just start business now that they have to be regulated. In your opinion, do you think that will encourage or discourage these international firms? No, it will encourage because like I told, uh, you as a client putting your money on a financial entities gives you security. Mm-hmm. And and this company, like you told, N- N26, um, the fintech law is a great opportunity. Mexico is a great market. And mm-hmm. it will be just great to have a lot of competence for the traditional sector. Mm-hmm. And, and like Miguel told on your last episode, when you mm-hmm. know the traditional sector, like banks, insurance, stock market, you get to know the importance of, of the fintech sector. I agree. Now moving on to the next section called payback period, where the guest asks the host a question. What question do you have for me today, Carlos? <laughs> Revenge is sweet. Um, <laughs> let me ask, what is the funniest experience you mm-hmm. ever had in Mexico? Very, very good question. And, you know, um, as a foreigner, uh, there's so many things that, that people in Mexico do that are just weird or, or different, you know, and, um, and some of them are also, you know, just so kind hearted. Like that's, that was the biggest shock to me was that how friendly everybody in Mexico is like, cause Singapore people are friendly, you know, they're nice, but they'll never go out of their way the way Mexicans do for each other or even for, especially for foreigners. Like I, I have a friend of mine, the first day he arrived from, from Singapore to Mexico, his Uber driver like asked him like, has he ever had tamales? And he said, no. So he took him to some street <laughs> corner and bought him tamales for free. And I was like, well, that is amazing. You'll never see that. I think in any part of the world, uh, I think that will only happen in Mexico. And I love that. Um, but some of the funniest things, you know, is always when um, I get lost in translation. Mexicans, they tend to skip through Spanish a bit. And, you know, for anybody who's trying to learn Spanish, uh, whatever you find spoken in, in Mexico is Spanish, but also not really. <laughs> so, and I'll explain <laughs> why, right? Because like the word for I guess that you guys have uh, in Spanish is poesía. You know, and, but then Mexicans don't really say poesía. You, you rush through it. So you guys say 
Pussy. Pussy. Which sounds, <laughs> sounds really vulgar, you know? <laughs> and when I first came to work, you know, I was attending meetings and everything and people were just saying pussy to each other all the time. And I could not understand why. <laughs> and oh, even, God. <laughs> and it works the other way around as well. You know, uh, what I felt was I have a few Singaporeanisms, which I thought were universal, but uh, they're not. For example, in, in Singapore, when, when you're sort of like zoning out, you know, and you're not paying attention in a meeting or whatever, uh, you're, you're called, like people say, like you're stoned. But, you know, everywhere else in the world, when you say you're stoned, that, that's like you've, you've had a lot of weed, right? So, so I remember being in a meeting and, you know, one guy was not paying attention and was just kind of zoning out. And I told like my boss, like, hey, this guy's so stoned right now. And like, you know, this guy got taken to another room and like HR had to talk with him <laughs> because, because I didn't know that stone meant something else entirely different when you're not in Singapore. So yeah, like there's so many things that get lost in translation and that has been one of the, my funniest aspects of, of being in Mexico. Yeah, great question. <laughs> I, I really hate you because I won't, wouldn't be able to say pussy again without thinking <laughs> about <it>. Yep. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, it know, wasn't I, a good revenge <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing it is, I, I sort of do that joke in my stand up sometimes and, and people always come back to me uh, afterwards saying like what did you do you know they had that, that sort of glass breaking moment and, and I love it because they cannot think about it <laughs> any other way anymore uh, <laughs> this, is, this is exactly the kind of comedy I want to do as well which is go to a crowd of Mexicans and make them question that things that they take for granted or are normal are actually super weird for people who are not Mexican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the other day I was telling you that you got both of best worlds. You, <laughs> you are in the financial sector. You are a financial pro professional, and yeah. and you have this stand-up comedy that, hoping I can see you soon on stage <laughs> um, after this pandemic. Yeah, but you got the best of both worlds. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, and it, it is really fun to be around these two very, relatively very extreme worlds. You know, the comedians are like the artists and the finance guys are super like black and white. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a privilege to be part of both of these worlds. Now, uh, before we wrap up, Carlos, uh, would you like to give any advice to people who are thinking of joining the legal side of a startup or planning to be a lawyer? Yeah, I think... Um, you need to work hard that's mm -hmm. a reality and also you need to be prepared not only on legal matters you have okay. to know about everything you need to know how technology works mm -hmm. how operation works mm -hmm. what is happening in the sector read financial articles read papers listen to lifetime value and <laughs> well yes have, have <laughs> And have a big general knowledge because a lawyer who only knows the law mm -hmm. is useful. You need to know about everything. That is very well said. Well, thank you so much for taking time out, Carlos. I had so much fun and 
you know, I'm, I'm definitely very much more enriched after hearing your explanation about the fintech law. You know, if let's say any of the listeners want to get in touch with you, would you like to share your contact information? Yes, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn as YNG Consultores. And awesome. I, I will be happy to, to respond to any question. Awesome. I'll also include that in the LinkedIn post and all the other marketing that I do. Well, thank you so much again, Carlos. This was such a pleasure. I hope to have you back on the podcast to talk about FinTech Law Part 2 at some point. Yes. Once the licenses are granted, I will yeah. love to talk about it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and speak to you soon. And this was Lifetime Value.